we keep calibrating ourselves. And it's not to say that we, we know you know what the future holds, but it's good for you to have the, like name the number, right? Like, hey, if I were to spend another 100 grand, like I believe that's going to net us another 150 or whatever the case might be, like name it, right? And then see what happens and learn, oh, I overstated, I understated. It really helps you refine this like forecasting skills. And I think as a media buyer, if you just spend without knowing what to expect to come back, it's just not great practice. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Get paid monthly and take a year off from running your Shopify business with Open Store Drive. Open Store's experts will handle everything, including your business's marketing, customer support, inventory, and more. Shopify businesses with more than 500K in yearly net sales qualify. Head to open.store slash limited for details. Nick, this is the first episode we're doing post-Black Friday. We have a special guest. I reached out to Ben from True Classic Tees probably just after Black Friday. And I was like, look, we need to understand what you guys did after Black Friday. And um, he was generous with his time and he agreed to do it. So we're we're recording just at, basically a week after Black Friday. Uh, so first, let me start by saying, Ben, welcome to the show again. This is the second time you're here the first time you were here was the most listened to episode of Limited Supply. Uh, we're so grateful for your time. I'm so excited about this episode. Uh, thanks for being here. Of course. I'm excited. Let's get started. Yes, I know you have a limited amount of time, so I'm just going to start peppering you with questions. I'm not going to ask, how are you? I'm not going to ask, you know, you must be exhausted. How is your family? No. Business, uh, straight to business. First is um, 2023 Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Did it beat expectations? Yes. Okay. By how much? So we changed strategy year over year. Last year was all about growth primarily, and we we're still decently profitable. This year, we actually took a different approach of trying to maximize EBITDA and actually do it. And so we spent a little bit more conservatively than we did year over year and had by far the most profitable month in the company history by kind of like a large margin and still generated over $30 million in top line sales. Damn, just for wow. Black Friday, Cyber Monday? No, 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 November? the month of November, sorry, just to be clear. Wow, 30 million. Oh my God, okay. And was that, was 2023 30 million larger than 2022 top line November? Yes, still still larger, yeah. Wow, okay. When you say you spent more conservatively, let me ask you a quick question. What does that mean? Like, do you talk about spend during Black, like is Black Friday spend confined to sort of like the Black Friday sale or do you do spend... Do you start spending in October trying to grow your list and get people excited? When does Black Friday spend start? Yeah, so we started this year, I guess, in line with a lot of other brands a lot earlier. And I feel like every year just keeps moving up. I feel like next year, maybe we start Black Friday in like September, you know. But this year, we started the sale on November 2nd. And we were like, listen, we're going to be there whenever the shoppers is at. And people start shopping much earlier, it turns out. And you may as well just have your best foot forward with a great offer. So Technically, November spend started earlier in November, but then we really ramped it up uh, Thursday night and then obviously going into Friday. And when we look at like how much to spend, we have those crazy intraday monitors. It's almost like we're trading stocks or something. And we just look at like hourly pacing of what's coming in. Where are we on profitability, like intraday in terms of like contribution profit percentages? And then looking at other indicators like last click attribution, just to make sure we're not pushing on, on some channels that are not really driving in the moment action and, and traction. And we 
every day have like we meet like six in the morning, eight in the morning, 10, noon, like every two hours. And we just talk about like, where are we currently trending? And to us, the two things that matter is top line revenue or for us net revenue of all the discounts and returns and stuff like that. Sure. And then bottom line EBITDA. And then we just keep reprojecting that. So we say, okay, if we were to push another hundred grand on, on Meta, what, where, where, where are we lending today? And what happens kind of like over the, the five days? So that's how we kind of like run the show and it's very intense, but honestly the best five days of the year, the most fun I have on this job. I always remembered you said last time we chatted that you had no marketing budget. You're like, we will spend as long as we're profitable. And uh, it sounds like even on Black Friday, you come in with a pretty blank dry erase board. And you're like, look, we're going to, sp- you're not like, we're going to spend this much on Black Friday. You're like, we, you know, even intraday, every two hours, you're making decisions. Did you generally push up uh, spend? Did you push down spend? Like, do you remember what it was at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 12 noon? Was it up or did, did you guys, were you like, let's push the pedal down further or were you like, let's let off a little bit? What we do is we're trying to find this, like, so the, the one-liner I always give brands, which I think is important to understand and go for, is like optimize for marginal incremental contribution profit, right? That's the one-liner. Marginal being the last dollar versus the average, which is very different, and incremental being truly driving it as opposed to attributed. Yes. Uh, and then contribution profit is what is the best indicator taking all the variable costs and, and structure into account. So that's what we're after. And so we start the day and, we, and then we look and say, okay, overall, on let's just say a last click basis, it looks really strong, right? We are, let's just say, bullish. And so we're starting to push a little bit more. When we do, what we have on TripleWell as an example is like the actual blended contribution profit trending over by the hour of the day. If that doesn't net out, contribution profit hourly starts kind of like falling short of expectations. I don't see the return on a marginal basis of this extra push. I will choose to pull back, right? Because I'm like, I just pushed and it just doesn't net out on the intraday. And so yeah. we, we do this push and pull. And so certain channels, we start a little bit more aggressive and had to pull back. Other tactics we had better success with. Frankly, for us on Meta specifically, like ASC seems to take a little bit of a backer seat and CBO starts to perform again super well. So there were some even within the t- within the channel, like certain tactics we bet on, kind of like disappointed. So we kind of like shifted budget to others. But we take that super tactically and not necessarily... Uh, to your point, like no budget set other than the goal is to maximize contribution profit in it, throughout the day. And that's how we go about this. So intraday though, like when you're looking at ads and you're like at 10 a.m., okay, it looks like we can spend more maybe on meta. Let's do it. Is that the discussion that you guys have at the 10 a.m. meeting? Correct. Yeah. And then we say like how much? And then we make a prediction. And that's where, and then we want to see if we're good at that prediction. So we keep calibrating ourselves. And it's not to say we, had, we know you know, what the future holds, but it's good for you to have the, like name the number, right? Like, hey, if I were to spend another 100 grand, like I believe that's going to net us another 150 or whatever the case might be, like name it, right? And then see what happens and learn, oh, I overstated, I understated. It really helps you refine this like forecasting skills. And I think as a media buyer, if you just spend without knowing what to expect to come back, it's just not great practice, right? So we are all challenging ourselves to, you know, be better at forecasting. Are you able to tell us how much you spent on Friday on meta ads? And if so, before you tell us, Nick, let's you and I both guess. That sounds good. Okay. So I'm going to get, you did, look, you said you did $30 million in the month of November. I'm going to guess on Black Friday, you did six and a half or $7 million. And I'm going to guess that you spent, is that right? Six or a half or $7 million? Because you're doing a million dollars a day is $7 million. No, I guess it's going to be more. I'm going to guess... 
closer to eight to 10 on your Black Friday. So I'm going to guess you spent 1.2 million on Facebook ads on Black Friday. But, you know, these are guesses based on your revenue of like, you know, I could be wildly off here. Nick, your, your, your guess. I was going to say one and a half, but may, I'll say two just for fun, just so there's a little bit more spread. So we're going to actually come shorter of, of both of you guys. We spend just under 500, wow. just under 500 wow. on, on Meta. Wow. Yeah. And as I mentioned, like we ended up pulling back actually compared to what we did prior. And the, po- the focus though, as I mentioned, was very much around profitability rather than just growth. And so we took a, a super strict approach on like that contribution profit component, but it worked out great for us as a company. And so I'm actually really bullish on what this revised approach or refined approach can do for us as a business. Was my revenue target way off? For Black Friday, sorry, I didn't answer that. Uh, we did just over, yeah, just about four and a half-ish on Friday. Were there other channels that you were spending on? So if you spent just under half a million on Facebook, were there other channels that you spent on that did really well? For example, we saw with a brand that was spending probably a similar number to that, uh, TikTok started performing extremely well within BFCM. Was that a channel you guys were on or what were the other channels you were on? I mean, we're on on the all the kind of like obvious aspects of so like YouTube, Google, uh, TV, podcast. Uh, we do do TikTok. Um, we do Amazon ads. Nothing for us scales as like nearly as far as, as Meta. So Meta to me is always like, especially by the way, in the Black Friday, Cyber Monday moment in time, I think it becomes completely disproportional, proportionally larger than anything else. Because if you talk about this like scaling approach of like, hey, I'm scaling, do I see it coming back? It doesn't seem to be the case in majority of other channels, especially if you're trying to kind of like abruptly pour a whole lot of more, more money into it. So I would say second to that was Google, not surprising, but uh, smaller, like less than half. And then uh, TikTok did not scale too far, but we did have we did see some success in different cases there. Also, like TikTok internationally is kind of like interesting for us, and we're trying to kind of like approach that. Amazon ads, I keep struggling with in terms of like just. Is it incremental? And if so, kind of like how much? So we keep revisiting ourselves, like, like you know, should we even do it, right? Like, and if so, how much? And what is the value of like branded search? I, I kind of like at this point really devalue it. And then what happens when you do an unbranded? And are those people that really learn about your brand on Amazon and those ads really do something for them? Or do they really know about you from social and just go to Amazon because it's the convenient place for them to shop. Like I do that all the time. You know, if a brand is on Amazon, I'll find it there and I'll typically buy. So we question a lot of the other channels again in terms of efficacy. So this is probably different for everybody's business specifically, but from a pattern level, have you seen a difference in your customers that you acquire during the year versus those who you acquire during Black Friday? Yeah, typically the Black Friday, I would say even rather than the November cohort uh, much, much heavier gifters, right? No surprise. And so for us, what we do is we have a question in the post-purchase survey that says like, who did you purchase for today? And it's myself versus a bunch of other options like someone else, father or or husband or you name it. And what is really interesting to see for us as a business is how it starts, like even before kind of like beginning of November, it's like 80 plus percent, let's just say myself. And then it's just gradually, but pretty consistently gets heavier and heavier into the gifters. And the gifters take becomes the majority in a lot of those kind of like uh, timeframes. And in December, like it's very heavy for us, like, you know, more females coming shopping for their 
significant others, things like that. And then what we also see is that from an LTV perspective, uh, those tend to be just less accretive and like worse cohorts. The thing that's interesting though, which we're still trying to dig into is are those lower LTV customers because they're gifters and they don't come back themselves because they don't buy it for themselves, but maybe they come back as the giftee. So in the case of like, let's just say you are like a, like a female, right? And you're buying it for your husband. So you made the purchase once, he got hooked and now he comes back as himself and keep buying from there. It might be even registering as a new customer. So we have some of those like kind of like deeper analytical questions that are still unanswered, but we're trying to think really deeply into kind of like what's driving the behavior. But on, on the surface level, it tends to be a lot heavier purchase for someone else because it's a great gifting opportunity to buy kind of like more affordably. And then from a, an LTV perspective, what we see as a company is that the November, December cohorts tends to just be worse than other months. Was that the most interesting insight from your post-purchase survey? Or was there anything else that stood out? It is interesting. The other thing that's really interesting to me, I still am like trying to really understand what it means and how to think about it, is that when, you know, a lot of people ask people, where did you first hear about me or the brand, right? What we also ask is, when did you first hear about us? Oh, interesting. And we ask that with different time horizons. So we say today, this week, this month, you know, this year, right? Or three to six months, whatever, this year. And we have so many people who have heard about us for the first time over three, six, sometimes a year ago, who have made their first purchase right there and then. And it's really interesting because if you think about our brand, and most people do that, marketers in particular, they judge by AOV and say, like, listen, it's a relatively like decently low AOV. We're a very affordable, approachable brand. Low consideration, don't think it takes much, right, to convert. And when you look at the data, you start saying like, actually, in many, many cases, you are planting the seed way far back in the day. And now is the moment you convert them. And that's actually really interesting from like a marketing kind of like strategy perspective. I just shared with you how I'm like, hey, let's push, let's pull all based on kind of like super short time horizons because of like how much we're spending and, and how much confidence I want to feel that those are really well-spent dollars. But then you have on the contrary of that is like, listen, you're creating all this marketing potential throughout the year. And then you really need to understand like how much value to put on that, right? How the people mm-hmm. you reached on the emails you collected, on the phone numbers you collected, on the apps that you got downloaded. Even if it didn't convert right there and then and created that DR, there is value. There's a lot of value. And so that's, I, I would say, is a very interesting one for any brand to dig into if you're collecting that data point. How did your cohort of members, so like people who are true classic members, perform during Black Friday? We still are trying to grow that membership and all in from a like LTV perspective, they are just astronomically more valuable than our, you know, like three plus X, let's just say, um, than our non-members. What we're trying to understand though, which is also important, is how much of that is quote unquote selection bias, right? So are those our best customers opting into the membership because that's when they're going to get the best value and therefore show up already as high LTV, now just shown under the umbrella of the membership? Or is it that the membership drives average customers to become superstar customers, right? And become kind of like whales. We don't have those data points figured out, but we are trying to dig deeper there and basically look at the same customers pre, post the membership treatment, if you will, if we have data on that and just see like, do we see a difference in behavior? Do they come back more frequently? Do they spend or like generate higher AOV orders? Things like that. Okay. Well, I want to go back to a couple more Black Friday questions, if I might. Um, can you tell me you, so you said that your Black Friday sales started November 7th, November 2nd, I'm sorry. 
Did you change the offer a bunch during Black Friday? Were there different, like, you know, for instance, MeUndies does this program where they do like, you know, 12 days of Black Friday and every single day is a different day that they, different item that they discount. This is one of those like weekends where when you're, when, you know, usually I um, feel like I'm so lucky selling something like deodorant because I don't have to worry about sizes and SKUs or, you know, it, and inventory management is so much easier. This is the one time of the year where I hate it because I'm like, you guys have the ability to say today shirts, tomorrow boxers, Wednesday hats, the next day uh, job. You know, every day can be something different. Did your offer change during the November 2nd to Black Friday deal or was it pretty consistent? Were there different discounts via text, via app, via email? How did you guys think about the strategy when it came to it's Black Friday? How do we get our message across and possibly like incentivize people the right way? So I think one thing that's really important, in my opinion, is that is there is this like core segment out there who just doesn't believe that the real deal shows up before Black Friday. So they're just not going to shop, right? They're just going to be there and they're going to wait and wait and wait. And comes back Friday, right? Not in our case, and like not really. Like, and and what I think is interesting is like a lot of this like Black Friday moment. You know, people worry about like messaging fatigue, offer fatigue. What we see, I think, pretty consistently is like. People just come to shop at different moments in time. And those who are waking up after Thanksgiving, looking to shop Black Friday and know that, okay, that's the real deal, no matter what they told me before, are just going to be there and do it and not necessarily feel like a way about what you offered before or whatnot. What we did try to do is two things, most to your point. On the one hand, keep it super freaking simple. I think we have learned over the years uh, how important it is to keep a simple offer, as in like for us, up to 70% off. And not go crazy of like, buy this, get that, bundle this together, get this like BOGO thing, like tiers of discounts. All of those promos for us at this point are just out of the window. And we're keeping things super, super simple. What we do try to create newness with and how we are playing into the Black Friday, Cyber Monday game throughout the entire month of November is with the merchandising to your point. So what we do is we drop lots of different packs. And so we'll say like, hey, limited pack, we just put something together, multiple SKUs, right? And while supplies last. And once we sell out, we'll replenish and do something else, right? And so it can be colors, it can be combinations that are really heavily promoted and create just a tremendous amount of value for our customer to just buy a lot of great stuff. Bundles. For a re- yeah, bundles for a really, really good price point. So we're really big on bundles, evergreen, and then in this moment in particular. And it's interesting to see how people respond to it. And I think it's twofold. One, when you do this really thoughtfully, especially in apparel, I think people resonate with it and feel like, okay, you've done some of the curation for me. I didn't need to go through the hand picking every single thing. You just put it together. It's thoughtful. It's curated. It makes it simple on me, especially for the average guy, right? Who just doesn't feel to shop, like shopping anyways to begin with. And then second is like just the value, right? You, you just are able to offer so much value to that customer because you have the margin as a brand when you bundle it together. And so to me, it's a, it's a huge kind of like winning strategy that a lot of brands, I think, can, can and should look into. And how do you think about the bundles? Like, do you think of it as what is it, what bundle is going to get a customer to purchase right now? Or do you think of it also as a little bit like, look, we have a lot of navy blue uh, joggers left. Let's make sure that we add that into the bundle. Is it like, is it a little bit of clearance or is there no clearance thought whatsoever? How do you balance? How do you think about inventory that you want to get rid of versus just trying to get sales as much, as much as possible? Both are considerations, but I would put it in a priority of like, we as a brand strive to do what's right for our customer and serve that customer. Inventory issues and challenges are real, but they're secondary in nature. And so 
what we would prioritize is putting bundles we believe people are interested in, or more so than let's just try to clear up the kind of like warehouse. That being said, we obviously look into inventory levels and try to see if there is a way for us to achieve both. But I would say if it's like, hey, let's force it upon the customer with some products that don't move, it might seem like a great effort, but at the end of the day, if they don't want it, it's just like a waste of everybody's effort to try and push it on yeah. them. And so um, if that kind of like answers your question, and then we have different ways to that we're trying to attack those problems kind of like creatively. Like we're doing mystery packs and mystery. Yeah, I see that all over the site, actually. Yeah, which is, you know, a great way for us to both surprise and delight the customer and then have a little bit more flexibility on like how and what should we fulfill that with, right? So there is different methods we're using for, I would say, different problems. And we're trying not to conflate the two. And then from like a, like a demand planning perspective, for especially a brand like ours, we're trying to really up-level our game and start thinking like packs as opposed to individual items. So our ideal state is to say like, okay, those are the packs. We already thought them out and they're perfectly put together. Let's source them like that at source and move them through the supply chain as a unit, as a bundle, right? And that saves just a lot of cost and headache and whatnot. Uh, the way we operate in certain cases is still a little bit more chaotic with like putting individual SKUs together on the fly, trying to kind of like move bundles that are a little, bit, a little bit more custom in nature. What software do you use to manage inventory? We have NetSuite as our okay. ERP. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not necessarily saying it is like, that's the best ERP. I feel like no, there's no, still no, of course. great room for someone to disrupt the ERP for e-com type of SaaS. If there are any SaaS founders out there, that's a great problem yeah, to it. I'm going to introduce you to this guy. And I'm an investor, so I'm going to start off by saying that, which is called Fulfill.io. And he's an ERP for e-commerce. Have you checked him out before? Yeah, yeah. Okay, not a big fan. No, I'm not. No, not, not at all. I would just say, I feel like it's always a matter of like risk reward. I would want to have something that's zero risk because it's the backbone of the company. And so we need to just make sure that everything is ready to go for us to make the switch. But from a, an affinity perspective as an individual, like I love nothing more than, than great tech geared for e-commerce that speaks our language. And I don't feel like you find it with big solutions typically. Want to take time off from running your current Shopify business to build your next Shopify business? When you join OpenStore Drive, you can take 12 months off to pursue other ventures while still getting paid. You'll receive guaranteed monthly payments for a year, and OpenStore will manage everything, including your business's marketing, customer support, inventory, and more. Shopify businesses with more than $500,000 in yearly net sales qualify. Head to open.store slash limited for details. Speaking of tech geared for e-commerce, any idea where your Clavio bill is or Postscript bill is for November? I don't know top of mind, but I can try to dig it. <laughs> my my follow-up question to that would be on Black Friday, do you how much do you segment emails? Are you sort of like, hey, um, let me send out an email for joggers to people who've only bought joggers in the past? Or are you also like, let me send are you blasting out emails to sort of the entire list? Um, and, Definitely not the uh, I say that list. wearing a pair of true classic joggers, which I wear every I know, day. I should get you some extra ones. Um, you cannot get me extra ones. I have 400 so pairs. So many. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I have an entire drawer of uh, true classic joggers. I live in our joggers too. Um, yeah, amazing. So uh, what I would say is the idea, we used to be back, back early in the days in like this spray and pray mode. 
we got burned in deliverability issues and whatnot, learned our lessons, and ever since became a lot more thoughtful. And so I can tell you that we are down to the level of like every individual SKU and personalizing the customer journey. We are definitely at the level of like using RFM segments of recency, frequency, and monetary values and trying to create different flows based on where people land within that RFM and also trying to control so it's MISI, right? Mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive. So if you're here, you're not getting this. And we're not like creating all this like crazy just amount of, of messaging coming your way. And then there is certain things that we're trying to, to just be more thoughtful about. So as an example, if you go on the True Classic website and you clear certain AOV thresholds, you're getting a free gift. If you got that free gift, we would want to follow up with you and try to sell you on that category that you just got a free gift for. So let's just say you got a free pair of underwear, right? It's a perfect opportunity to try to be a little bit more personal of like, hey, Moise, like, how do you like the underwear? Like, and like, would you want to get a great deal on like a nine pack now that you tried it out, right? So we'll do those types of things to give your joggers example. But it's still dreamy to me to get to a place where every individual customer journey is taken into account. So every product recommended on any touch point, email, SMS, on the web, et cetera, is personalized for your individual preferences. And it can be the styles you tried or haven't tried, the colors you're into, and uh, sizes, things like that. But I guess what I'm saying, though, is on Black Friday, is everyone getting the same email or is everyone getting different emails? Not everybody gets the same email, but for the most part, uh, based on RFMs, they get their their bucket. I, I, it's not down to like creating hundreds of like you know campaigns based on individual characteristics. Not we're not there yet. But I would like to, if you guys have any records on like dynamic content engines for for stuff like that, we are always into stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you guys are the you know best case for that for that type of engine to exist, which is you know this guy likes to buy joggers in brown or like only buys brown. Show him only brown photos when you send an email out. Like there's so many opportunities for a company like yours to really maximize that that type of journey. Um, and I, I was curious to see like you know for native, I'll, let me give give you an example of what I used to do. I would send the exact same email to every single person, right? Deodorant, deodorant, deodorant. Buy, 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 buy. No segmentation, you know, like, yes, segment, exclude people who bought recently, but no other type of segmentation. You have the opportunity to do so much segmentation. So that's what I was trying to understand is how much segmentation do you guys do? It sounds like a little bit, but not a ton. It's not, not, not like you're sending out hundreds of different campaigns. Ben, during your like 6 a.m., 8 a.m., 10 a.m. check-ins, what were some of the levers that you would pull, you know, if you were falling short on projections? Was email... I mean, I mean, you have a huge CRM. Is email one of the levers that you would pull and say, okay, let's find an, uh, an audience of people who didn't maybe open the email but didn't click or open, didn't buy, you know, let's hit them again? Yeah, I would say that for us, that has been a little bit more premeditated and is in like, you know, what are the flows? What's the logic? When to follow up? How many cents? So that has been a little bit easier to quote-unquote control for. And there wasn't like too much... There's always tweaks, but there wasn't like anything too dramatic to quote unquote change in, in the strategy. The biggest lever that I think is always the biggest question mark is is literally how much to spend and where. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the, the the biggest thing we try to just monitor and manage at the highest possible level is the is the media spend and and trying to right size because no matter what data you have, even if it's last year, how you're trending, what happened so far this month, what's, what happened last Black Friday, what happened in 2021, what happened in 2020, 
it's still like an unknown, right? And so, and yeah. I think that even going into Black Friday, there is the first decision of like how much budget should you load into the platforms to begin with? Because that kind of sets the tone. And if you really didn't bring it within the range of reasonable, it might be that you will never be able to catch up, you know, and, and vice versa. That is what I would say the majority of the intraday monitoring and decision making is all about. And then just the ability to really understand the PNL outcomes midday as the hours comes through has been just a complete game changer for us. And I don't know how many brands are kind of running that way, but it's just so critical to have that pulse on profitability and to not operate blind. And so Triple Well has been great for us in that regard to just plug in all our assumptions and keep the, the pulse on contribution profit. So you said 4.5 million in revenue on Black Friday, 500K in ad spend. You mentioned that it was bigger uh, Facebook, top line. Facebook spend. Facebook, specific. sorry, Facebook spend. Was Facebook bigger in 2023 or 2022? No, we we really right-sized that. And so we, we tried. The, the goal here, by the way, is always to spend as much as possible. Just to be clear. Yeah. Uh, and Meta has always been and probably will continue to be our biggest channel where we can do the most. The focus has been on just that marginal incremental contribution profit. So if I could have doubled the spend and felt like I could get the results to make sense out of it, I, we would have spent double, triple, however much we can. What we really focused on, though, was that intraday return, which is different than what we did last year. And that's just some context on like what, how the strategy has evolved for us as a company. One question that we were excited to ask you is, what is your finance stack? How are you financing all the ad spend, all the inventory? You know, you're running, pro your goal is to run as profitable as possible. So like, what are the, the little screws and levers that you're pulling on to maximize that? Yeah, so what we're trying to do is run really efficiently. And I feel like most direct-to-consumer brands, if run properly and really with the focus on profitability, don't really require venture capital. My take on that is that there's two types of kind of like capital intensive activities in most D2C brands, which is inventory and advertising. You can argue also on things like retail or maybe other pieces, but let's put those as kind of like niche up for a second. So what we do with ads is we try to spend properly where we ideally break even on that initial order, right? That's if the contribution profit equals zero per customer on that initial order. And so if we do that, then we don't have any any cash concerns because the ads just basically pay for themselves, quote unquote, with the immediate direct response from that. So that's how we solve for the advertising side. We're just like smart attribution and like a super data-driven analytical approach and like what we're getting for what we're spending. On the inventory side, we never raise equity. We're still bootstrapped, um, you know, well into our kind of like a, a nine-figure brand, right? And what we have done is we raise debt and we keep, refinancing the deadline. And so there is over $38 million or so available for us on a deadline, you know, a low double digit interest rate, always looking to refi that and at some point maybe get a bigger different line with like a big bank, right? That is going to be even cheaper. That's just what's helping us finance the inventory. Aside from those two, we're always thinking about the cash conversion cycle and how to basically reduce the different components, right? Mainly DIO and the payment terms with, with the suppliers. And so we'll do things like, how can we build flexibility into the supply chain? Maybe we hold like 
reserves of like fabrics at source and are able to like more quickly turn this around. Um, and that allows us to hold less inventory on hand and therefore require less cash, kind of like working capital. That's just the kind of like the general gist of it. And that's a constant focus over here in terms of like both reducing the getting as close to a negative cash conversion cycle as possible, mm-hmm. as well as like reducing the, the the interest or the effective debt interest we're paying on on the debt. And whatever activity we can finance with its own kind of like benefits is like where we're happiest, you know? And that's what I love about marketing and advertising is if you're doing it well, it should pay for itself. Totally. And you shouldn't need to like raise money for that. If you're spending so much where you're like, I'm running into cash problems, then you're probably overspending like quite a bit. I love your honesty. I'm just like, look, this is how businesses should be run. You're not trying to hide anything. You're like, this is how we run this. It is so fantastic. I know you've got to run in a couple minutes. Let me ask you two really quick questions. Three, if you don't mind. One is, what is your best-selling product for the Black Friday, Cyber Monday holiday? I mean, we're still like, you know, our t-shirt is just second to none. We're the best t-shirt in the world. And so... To this date, it's still, it's our first hero product and will has, has remained like the top one. But we do have other categories growing really rapidly. What's the best-selling color in the t-shirt? Black. Black, okay. So obvious. Well, I kind of told you both of these. Yeah, and then, you know, when you guys think about Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you know, before we jumped on, you're like, look, I've basically been working for like three weeks straight or four weeks straight because it's peak season. Do you guys do a post-mortem for Black Friday? Do you guys go back like, you know, in January and say, this is what we did well, this is what we did poorly? How do you guys think about that? You know, a lot of other companies admire you. A lot of other founders, including me, admire you and the way you think about things, Ben. I'd love to understand how you think about this and frankly copy how you think about this. How do you think about going back and analyzing what worked and what didn't work? Or is it sort of like, do you guys do that? Is there a post-mortem? Is there a team meeting where you're like, what emails drove what revenue? How do you think about that? Absolutely. So the first thing I want to say as a company is like I use I like hugely value debriefing, learning, and most importantly, taking very specific actions to improve go forward. Right. And so it's very data driven. We're a company where like no BS can fly around. Right. So we say move the needle. And so first thing we gotta make sure in every area of the business is like, do we have a well-defined needle? Like what is it that we're looking for when we're trying to to figure out like is this email working better than that? We're not the company to stay at like open rate or click-through rate or conversion rate. Like we go really, really, really deep as in like, what is the contribution profit per customer receiving this particular email versus that? And like, how do they compare? And like, what does it do for us on day one, on day 30, on day 60, and so on and so forth. So we are trying to first go as deep as possible to the answer we're seeking in the area. And then we are constantly, I wouldn't even say waiting until January. We're constantly looking like we are debriefing back Friday on Saturday. You know, and we're like, what, what went well yesterday to do today, right? We're not waiting for, ne- like, let's plan on next Black Friday. Like, what do we implement to go into Cyber Monday? There's no time to waste. And that's the mindset over here. Just like this, rel- I would say it in one line, and that's what I tell all my employees all the time. We're just relentless about being better tomorrow than we are today. And that is the mindset. It's not a next month. It's not a next year. It's, not a, it's like tomorrow than today. And every single day you need to review the outcomes of your actions and figure out for yourself, how are you bettering yourself, your department, your area tomorrow than you were today? And that's the mindset here. And I think it's great, although might, you know, many people might find it to be intense. I think it's the best way to, to make progress. And so not really big on formalities. 
I would say. Uh, more is like, we're not the kind of company that like, does a lot of like, you know, let's, sometimes it's, it's required, but for the most part, we're not there to create big meetings for the sake of big meetings and put all this busy work to make a presentation so people celebrate a win X, Y, and Z. We want things to be very practical, very tactical, very actionable, and very data-driven. And if it serves that, that's great and welcome. If not, don't waste time doing busy work. Okay, I've got one statement and one last question. Uh, the statement is, if I were ever to work for somebody again, Ben, you'd be on a very short list of people I'd ever work for. Uh, I love your relentless mindset. I love the intensity. Um, virtually, I would vir say no to virtually any job anyone gave me. If Barack Obama was like, let's work for me, I'd say no. For you, if you said that, I'd, be, I'd definitely consider it. Dude, I'm going to be blushing here. My last question is, uh, you said you do that like, you know, on Saturday, you're going over the Friday mistakes. What was the mistake that you guys thought you made on Black Friday? Honestly, I feel like it's always, a, I'm going back to the spend part because it's the biggest, the, the variable, you know? And Definitely. it's like, no matter, it's one of those things. I feel like inventory planner uh, planning and ad spend are two things you can never get right. You you are always either overdoing it or underdoing. Overbuying mm -hmm. inventory, overspending, or underbuying inventory, underspend. And you're never happy with yourself, you know? It's always like the constant, like, the, like why can't I get this right type of stuff? So that is always the biggest thing for me. And and to me, inventory planning is a little bit longer term, right? Judged by DIO. And if it's getting out of control and then you're like, why did we forecast it this way? Or where is this number coming from? And how did we end up with so many of this queue? I don't see the data supporting it or whatnot. With the ad spend, it's this constant like PNL. Like the the, the PNL like repeat back to me, we spend properly, right? Like where is MER? <laughs> you know, and like how, where is contribution profit as a function of kind of like, um, where we kind of like span and, and, and things like that. So that's what I would say is kind of like the biggest things. I would say, aside from that, there were a few, like this particular Black Friday, a few like hiccups on the tech side, like just a few things that just went wrong in terms of like website glitches and stuff that I'm personally very sensitive towards, especially in a moment like this, where it's like everything needs to go kind of like flawlessly. But those are like, you know, not even the next day. Those are like the next minute, you know, all hands on deck, like, getting things fixed. An example was like something changed in the gift with purchase, you know, script and people were charged for what they were supposed to get for free. And that was because they swapped the, you know, I think either the threshold of the gift or small things like that, but painful, you know? So there were a few, a few of those kind of like um, tech issues. Was everything uh, shipped out on time? Were there any 3PL issues sort of like over the weekend or on Monday? So we talked about forecasting and how important that is. So I got to give kudos to my ops team because they just yeah. nailed the forecast on the orders and the units, which are the two things we need to provide sure. to our 3PL for labor planning for the lines. Like yeah. so close, like single digit, like MAPE. And, wow. Wow. And, and it was just so on point. So not really, like we cleared earlier la last week, like everything, all the entire backlog. And so there was no, I think by... By Wednesday, we were clear of all the Cyber Monday orders, and and it was a huge spike compared to previous. But that's because we were, frankly, as spot on as we've ever had on the orders and the units forecasting. Uh, we started leveraging more AI and different tools to just triangulate different forecasting methodologies. And again, going back to like it's not about having a forecast. But it's about checking your forecast accuracy and improving that accuracy over time. That's how you know if you're making progress if you're a forecaster versus like, I have a forecast, right? What do, I, what do I do with the forecast? If it's not accurate, not that helpful for me. And so work on the accuracy and improve that over time. And we measure it. I mentioned MAPE just to decode that. It's the mean 
absolute error margin, I think. So basically, like, as a percent, like, how off are you from where you said, whether it's plus or minus, doesn't matter, but, like, you kind of, like, take the absolute value of that percent error. Incredible. Uh, those were all the questions I had, Nick. I, I know we're a little bit over time. Did you have anything else? I had two small ones. Uh, one, just to make us small people feel feel normal. Do you get hit with a lot of ADA lawsuits? Or like scammer attorneys that are trying to just get a quick check? Yeah, we did. We got our fair share. I don't know about a lot, but we got our fair share and it's really frustrating. I always think to myself, like, why don't you go out there and actually try to create value for the world instead of trying to just squeeze and a ridiculous like lawsuit, like, but you know, people make a living off of that, unfortunately for us. Uh, we did, and what we're trying to do is create those like technical reviews to make sure that we're not basically closing any exposure we can. Actually, legal is one of those things that we took super seriously over the past, I don't know, six to 12 months. Um, because as you can imagine, as you grow as a brand, you become kind of like a bigger target. So we're trying to review all our practices. And for us as a company who just tries to, you know, frankly do right by people, but also go super fast, that's not being top of mind. So I would say, we're at the stage where we do a lot more legal reviews um, than we've ever done as a brand. Awesome. And last question, you know, this year, I feel like the True Classic brand is significantly bigger than it was this time last year. Like the brand aura, the awareness, the amount of people who are wearing the products excited by it, the categories you guys have, and even just the store count. Do you feel like you successfully flushed the toilet and emptied out the funnel before you go into next year? I feel pretty good about it. I would put it to you this way. I would say that there is, I'm that kind of person who is always just gravitating towards what can be done better, right? I, I'm like, I never feel like successfully anything, right? There's always like a better version of whatever it is that we did, even if it's, you know, clearing a funnel or doing or doing whatnot. So I think my mindset is always about like, going back to like, how can we be better in January than we're at today and so on and so forth. But all in, we're, I'm personally very pleased with how this year is ending up for us. And the one thing that I feel particularly strongly about is how we were able to really shift our focus towards generating EBITDA still grow. You know, we're, we're going to cross 200 plus this year on, on, on Topland as an organization. And it's still like, you know, our fourth year of kind of like into the business. But we have tremendously improved our margin and our kind of like EBITDA margin in particular which is to me truly in this environment, the real scorecard at the end of the day. You know, everybody can buy revenue. Can you generate a profit? Can you make it happen, right? Like that is the real challenge. And and we're, we're like as laser focused as we have ever been on that. And so specifically for November, that was just a huge one for us to just prove to ourselves how profitable this business can be when managed more, like as conservatively as, conservatively as we've ever managed it. Totally. I also think like native... True Classic is probably the only brand of its category that, you know, our great, great grandchildren will still see in the stores. I sure hope so, man. We'll do everything we can to to make that happen. If you're running it still, then I'm certain you will. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't know if I'll be there until then. Ben but, will be unreachable uh, on his own private uh, island at that time. <laughs> <laughs> but we are, this is one big area for us, right? Like getting into that physical stores because over 65% of, you know, apparel is still being purchased offline. I was just actually the target and I ran against uh, the, the native deodorants in the, in the aisle. Um, it's a big part of the evolution we haven't taken upon ourselves yet, uh, but those are active big conversations because we're still like 99 plus percent online as a brand yeah totally and so that's that's a big one 
Amazing. Well, thanks for staying over, Ben. I know, uh, I believe you have an internal meeting that needs your attention. <laughs> I sure do, man. But uh, it's great to reconnect, guys. If I don't speak to you before then, happy holidays. And yeah, thanks for having me back. So grateful for you coming on, Ben. Incredible. Yeah, thank again. you. Thank you so much. I love a shooting with you. Every time we talk, I'm always impressed and stunned and so inspired. Thank you. Yeah, I'm ready to just sit at my desk now. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you both. This is fun. Always happy to, to shoot the shit. So you let me know. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail, and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one. 